What's up, my shit fits? Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I am your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and today we are gonna go through a topic, AKA your crunches, and why it is literally the worst thing you should be doing for your spine, and why it usually gives more issues than solutions when it comes to back health, core strength, and visible abs. Um, before we get into that, we are gonna do some shoutouts because I always forget. So my new number one city, all the way in the state of Indianapolis, the city called Michigan City. Shout out to everyone out in Indianapolis listening to my show. Number two, the city of Wake Forest in North Carolina. Shout out to everyone in North Carolina listening to my show. And number three, all the way in New Zealand, a city named Auckland. Shout out to everyone in New Zealand listening to my show. So today's episode, I'm going to try to keep it relatively short, probably probably 30 minutes, um, on the topic of low back pain and crunches. So I'm constantly surprised with the amount of people I meet, coaches I meet, that still program um, crunches for their clients and themselves. And a lot of times, you know, when I ask them, do you know who Dr. Stuart McGill is? And they have no clue. They kind of look at me deer in the headlights type of thing. So for those who are listening, everything that I'm going to bring up in this episode can come down to McGill's work. And if you don't know who he is, highly, highly recommend uh, that you go search him out and read his books, listen to his podcasts, episodes, listen to him lecture, listen to anything Stuart McGill, because that's gonna give you a lot of insight of what we're gonna go through today. And we're also gonna do some demos of exercises um, to kind of go along with this. So for all my listeners, highly recommend, again, hit the show notes, click the video link to my YouTube channel to watch this. Uh, because I've been doing a lot more video, vlog, podcast things, and it comes in handy um, compared to my car um, podcast episodes. But anyway, um, the biggest thing that I always see is, you know, in the clinic setting, I will usually get a patient that comes in and has low back pain. Most people have had low back pain once or twice in their life, and it can either be, you know, just a flare-up, super sore, or it can be, like, crippling pain. And a lot of times, the first thing I'll ask is, what do you do for exercise? They start naming off what they do, and I ask, okay, specific exercises, and most of the time, they'll say crunches. And I'm like, okay, why are you doing crunches? And they're like, oh, I want a six-pack. I want to work on my core. Okay. So now I know this person doesn't really understand the concept of a core, and that's something that we need to understand. So what does your core do? And essentially, if you look at the way it's designed, it's supposed to resist force in all multiple directions. So if I am sitting here in front of you right now, and I have this force coming here to push me over, all of my core musculature is built to resist that to keep me upright. And what that is, is I'm fighting anti-lateral flexion, right? So if I look at what my 
um, spine can do, which is flexion, extension, and rotation, and lateral flexion on both sides, um, then I can train it that way. So if I am constantly just doing crunches, and that's all I do for my core work, one, we already have a problem of, like, let's set aside why crunches are shitty for your spine. But let's just think about it. You ask an average person, what do you do for core work? Usually it's just crunches and variations of crunches because they feel it here. And if you go by that logic, then if I asked you, all I want you to do for upper body is just bench press. That's it, right? Just that one plane of motion. And for the most part, we know or at least I hope we know that when you do so much pressing, you're kind of feeding into the fire of terrible posture because like even right now when I'm sitting, rounded posture and do this eight to 10 hours every single day in front of the desk, especially now that everyone's working at home over Zoom or whatever video recording device you use, conferencing device you use, it just feeds into that fire, right? we're just adding more movement into this pattern of terrible posture. So, you know, you go to physio or chiro, they're always gonna say, oh, you want like mid trap activation, you want postural exercise, band pull aparts, no money drills, those things. Like, I think we all know that. But when it comes to like, okay, I'm gonna work on my core, I'm gonna do this over and over and over and over again. That doesn't really make sense, right? So already one thing we have is that we're overloading a terrible postural um, position. And a lot of times, like, I'll give this example. If I'm sitting, like before, we can probably agree that this is bad posture because one, we're feeding into the fire of what we're doing all day. And two, that, you know, any posture, like, that's a whole other discussion, but any posture that's prolonged for too long is bad posture, but we can probably all agree that this is bad posture. So what's the difference of me going on my back in the gym and doing this, right? If you think of that side by side, if I had a photo, it's the same thing, it's the same thing. So without realizing it, you're actually making your posture worse in that sense. So if we know that the average person sits at a desk eight to 10 hours a day and then goes to the gym and does bench press, say they have no idea, they're doing more pressing, they're getting super tight up top and now they're doing more crunches, they're super tight up top. We understand that when our thoracic spine up here does not move adequately, our lumbar spine has to take over for its job. And our lumbar spine is not really designed to be mobile. It's supposed to be a stable joint. And I'm going to get into another point of when you should train flexion in your spine. But that's going to be near the end. We're talking about the average person here. Now, when you look at our spine, it can flex, it can extend, it could laterally rotate on both sides and just rotate in general. In order for our spine to be healthy, it should be able to do all those things. But if we take their average person that's rounded like this all day, you would assume that the vertebral discs in the spine 
being under this pressure for so long, you would assume that the discs in between each vertebrae are gonna now push out to one position because they're in this rounded position. So when you look at the most common low back and neck pain, people will have bulging discs and herniated discs because of that posture. Low back and neck tend to be the ones that are in those positions a lot. So if you think of that sitting position, we're rounded, but we get a lot of stress right in here in the cervical spine and our pelvis is tucked under like this, right? And I find that a lot of times when I work with uh, patients in a clinic setting or even in my kin stretch classes, um, the average person has no idea how to move their spine interdependently of each vertebrae. It kind of just clumps all together. So if you think of like the cat-cow, for example, it all kind of just comes together. And then when I had to isolate, say, just the lumbar portion of their spine to rotate back and forth, no clue how to use that, right? So we already have now discovered some problems and issues that are gonna arise down the line. And now if we know that that posture for a long time tends to cause bulging discs, herniated discs in both cervical and lumbar, then why would it be a good idea to now feed that fire further by cranking onto your neck, <laughs> hit my hat off, um, in the crunch position constantly because this tends to fatigue a lot faster. So then what happens is people start yanking on their neck and then you wonder why people have low back pain, like further increase their low back pain along with their lumbar pain, uh, low back pain. So now you can already see this pattern that we're not kind of even doing ourselves any favors, right? So if you look at Dr. Stewart McGill's work, he's the one that figured out that your spine has so much forward flexion before a disc goes this way and starts causing pain. Now, you know, that can mean the average person has, I don't know, 20,000 forward flexions before something hurts. Maybe the person beside me has 11,000. Maybe the person on the other side of me has 5,000, whatever it is. But I think we all have had an instance where we reach down to go grab something, AKA our shoe, our laptop bag, and something just buckles in our spine. We have that shooting pain going through our back and now we can't move and now everything hurts. And what happened? We went to number 20,000 of forward flexion. Your body goes, fuck this. Here's a little disc that pushes against your nerve and now we got pain. Takes a while to come back from that. Believe me, I've been in that position. And that was during the time where I've looked into Dr. Stuart McGill's work and it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Now, for all those people who are like, okay, I get it. No more crunches, so stupid, whatever it is. But what do I do then? So now we got to go into this whole idea of um, what our core musculature is built to do, um, what it is, and what exercises can, you know, get that um, job done. So one, when I look at the core, and I'm pretty sure I've done multiple episodes on this, but, and in my book, um, 
I look at the cores, the top of my shoulders down to my kneecaps. All that musculature is built for keeping our spine safe and strong while producing movement. So if I can create tension through my shoulders to my knee to produce movement and power and whatever else I'm going to do, then my back is going to be happy. So how does that look like, right? Um, before I go in any further though, what I mean by that is that if I can produce enough core stability, not only here, it should have a global effect across the body, then my entire body will be strong, safe, and whatever other word you want to use to describe stability. And again, I really, really like this analogy that stability is like safety. So if I can create more stability in my body, I'm going to be safe. So an, an example, like if I had to um, argue that the deadlift, it's a leg exercise, right? Everyone thinks, yeah, it's a leg exercise, hamstrings, glutes, whatever it is. I would look at it as a core exercise. I'm putting my spine through so much force, so much weight that I have to resist. It would make sense that all of this stuff between my shoulders and knees have to create enough stability and safety in order to lift that barbell off the ground and ensure that my spine doesn't fucking explode. I would categorize that as a core exercise, right? Um, that being said, what are some traditional um, core exercises that are better than crunches? Um, and another thing I wanted to point out is like, if you actually look at like EMG studies where they, you know, put the electrodes on your body to see how much muscle activity you get between, um, what's it called? Um, between different exercises, they did a study where they, you know, include crunches and some other core exercises and crunches from a muscle, um, activity standpoint is pretty low, right? Compared to like, say a front plank or a side plank, that's pretty high up there that uses a lot crunches it way at the bottom so when it comes from like a fat loss perspective people will spend endless amounts of time like 15 to 20 minutes at the end of their workout doing endless crunches because they want to have a visible six-pack now if you know that the amount of energy it takes to create a crunch like movement is pretty low then from a fat loss perspective or a muscle building perspective, it's pretty much useless. Whereas if you know that something like a Turkish getup, core exercise requires a lot of energy to produce, meaning you would spend more time burning calories, burning fat to reveal those abs that you want, right? Like. Do you really think that if you spent every single day doing crunches for 20 minutes, that only that one area of your body is going to lose fat? Probably not. You don't see that. Like, you know, when people ask me about um, fitness products, like those ab things, it's like, okay, imagine if those things worked and people put on that foam pad thing that vibrates um, your fat away. I don't know how that works. Um, that means that this one area is just going to be 
shredded and the rest of your body is still gonna be like jello no definition whatsoever like that it's not a good i don't think we've ever seen a human being like that you know what i mean so that being said you might as well utilize exercises on a higher scale that require a lot of energy to produce which will then put you more into a calorie deficit which then allows you to recover more because you're utilizing more muscles that are involved in those exercises and voila down the road a year from now your abs are now more defined right but people just don't think about this process and i always say to people that exercise like fitness in general is very 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 simple it's so simple that people overthink it and believe that this next product that came out for boxing day or black friday is the secret to their issues but if you really think about it like fitness has been around for a long time like training has been around for a long time people have been getting strong for centuries a new product that some person invented today is not going to revolutionize the science behind people adapting to stress like maybe it'll speed it up a little bit but there hasn't been anything that's been researched or proven to speed it up that fast that everyone needs to start doing it right you see new products being produced every freaking year and really just comes down to here's a new stress thing that you can adapt to but if you look at like olympic weightlifters they have three lifts they do all year and by the time they make it to the olympics they've been weightlifting for like 15 years with the same three lifts and for some reason they're big strong they're lean they have a six pack and they can lift heavy amounts of weight sure there's some like drugs involved but um still you are still getting strong um based on just three things but anyway other options so if i were to choose those things where i need to fight flexion extension rotation and lateral flexion um things that come to mind and i will kind of progress how i do it kind of similar to my last video about the deadlift um and this is going to showcase how you know how i was saying that you know i work at here's like that my four month progression the reason why people can progress that way is that there's other stuff that i'm supporting it with in order that they can see that progression line go up so just like my other video where i'm like okay we're gonna learn how to deadlift we're gonna learn how to breathe so the first thing i do for a functional core to prevent low back pain is utilizing diaphragm so there's a few different ways that i do this so traditionally if i am lying down one hand on my belly one hand on my chest breathing from there i can have feet elevated against the wall bench box whatever it is i'll even get people lying on their side to see if they can fill up one side if you see an asymmetry from left to right then you already know there's an energy leak. And I've seen this with patients too with low back pain is that they'll be able to expand their diaphragm from one side and the other it's like zero activity. And I'm like, well, no wonder that when you go into a gym setting or a class or whatever it is and you're required to create stability, aka safety around your spine and one side of your diaphragm can't expand to create that, 
well, no wonder you're getting injured, right? Like, it's common sense. But um, that's something that you can train. So depending on the assessment that I do on the client, kind of like the um, uh, deadlift uh, assessment, I also do a breathing assessment. One, just like how I showcased, is just the breathing pattern of the diaphragm compared to the chest. Side lying on one side, side lying on the other side. And then the last one is if I was lying down on my belly, hopefully you guys can see me here. And then forehead is on my, you know, hands, forearms, whatever it is. And I'm trying to breathe my belly into the ground. And if I can see an elevation, hopefully you guys can see it. And if I can see that people can breathe back up in here into their erectors, now I know that they can create that three uh, 60 degree stability around their spine when it comes um, to any kind of exercise. A lot of times people don't have that ability and I'm like, okay, we have a lot to work with right now. We need to figure your shit out. So that's kind of my first phase of teaching someone how to breathe. Um, and then from there is, you know, things like, um, some low level planks and dead bugs. So depending on how many times I see somebody in person, online, whatever it is, is how I'm going to structure their kind of core section of their program. So from that breathing position, I will get, um, people doing a dead bug, but a progressional dead bug. So a lot of times it's, you know, all right, we learned how to breathe. Now it's like, let's breathe with the legs up. Let's hold the breath, do one leg, back up, exhale, deep breath in. Other leg comes down, exhale, back up. And then eventually adding the arms and legs. Now, just kind of like, this is how I look at core training is similar to what I said earlier about if I'm only training this, I'm leaving, leaving a lot on the table and building an asymmetry already. So just like functional core training that don't involve um, flexion-based activities, I got to make sure that I'm not only doing a dead bug or breathing on my back, I got to do other stuff. So just like training, if I'm going to do a push, I want to do a pull. If I want to do a hip dominant exercise, I want to do a knee dominant exercise. If I'm going to do an overhead press, I want to do an overhead pull, right? I got to even it out. So something as uh, simple as a uh, bird dog, right? Opposite arm, opposite leg. The biggest thing that I see when people do this bird dog is that they don't know how to create that core stability. So they end up utilizing their lower back every single rep. Whereas really what I want to see is your hip going into extension, engaging this glute as hard as possible while the opposite arm creates tension. And even when I'm holding this position, this say my right hand that's on the ground, I am literally corkscrewing the ground. Like I'm twisting the ground to engage my lat as hard as possible. And then with the supporting foot that's on the ground, my toe is crushing into the ground. And then my hand that's reaching out, I'm creating a fist. And when I get to that full extension, I'm squeezing as hard as possible. And that heel behind me is driving to that back wall as hard as possible. And that's teaching my body, especially my spine, how to create that stability, how to create that safety. Um, 
and create a more functional core. This is just like the foundation, just like how I did my deadlift video. This is kind of like my phase one, right? That was a dynamic way of creating tension and um, kind of that, you know, contract, relax, contract, relax in a dynamic way. And I find that a lot of times when people do this correctly, they will finally see progression. Because a lot of times, kind of like the deadlift video where, you know, I get someone in, their deadlift hit a plateau, and I check all the foundations, they don't have any, that's why they hit the plateau. A lot of times when it comes to weightlifting and they can't, you know, get a little bit more, they see this huge plateau in their training, it's because they don't have the foundations for a good core. And sometimes it's like, I check their breathing, they have no idea how to use their diaphragm, and it's like, well, now you have this huge energy leak, right? So, um, breathing, dead bug, bird dog, all their variations, awesome. Going into planks, one thing that I really, really, really love is training anti-lateral flexion. I find that is the highest payoff when it comes to preventing low back pain. I don't know why that is, honestly. Someone out there who's smarter than me could probably tell me, but for some reason, when I can get someone super strong, fighting anti-lateral flexion, they tend to get better, they become more resilient and just powerful. So an example of an exercise that can help with that is literally going into a side plank. And if I was doing phase one, I'm doing half a side plank. So both my legs are bent in half. Phase two would be like the knee up from there, leg extended, and then from there is where I'm going to be in a full side plank. This, I am fighting anti-lateral flexion, getting all my obliques and those deep muscle, uh, not muscles within the spine to help build that strength to make sure that my body doesn't fall into any kind of this stuff. Um, I'm getting close to 30 minutes here and I'm trying to figure out where I wanna go with this. I might do, actually, you know what, I'm gonna do a part two of just core training and why crunches are terrible. So we got to just like my phase one uh, bit. Um, I will add one more thing before I move on to the next thing. Um, Anti-lateral flexion. Um, the other plank that I do, so a lot of times people are like, okay, what about front planks? Awesome, but a lot of times in phase one, people don't have enough stability, protect that lumbar spine in this position. So the best way to do it is to cut the lever in half. And I like, I call this a sprawl. I read it in a magazine like nine years ago compared to what most people call is like the low bear. But you know, you start in a quadrupedal position and you just lift the knees up and you hold any person with low back pain. This is money. Being able to get someone in a plank position to fight extension, huge, 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 huge. Front plank, most people don't have the ability to do it properly. so the sprawl plank or the low bear, whatever you want to call it, works so, so well for any low back person. And even if you have someone that's really, 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 really weak and they have terrible low back pain, the easiest thing for them to do, and this is the only time I let people cheat, is in this position, lift the hips a little bit higher and now put more weight into that upper body. For men, works really, really well. Women sometimes not because they don't have that upper body strength just yet. So sometimes doing that, their upper body will fatigue faster. But again, like your body adapts to stress, do 10 seconds at the very, very beginning. But this is kind of my like low level stuff that I do with everybody. And when you get people doing it right, 
even my CrossFitters in the clinic, when I get them to do this stuff, they find it difficult, right? It doesn't matter if you're an amateur lifter or you're a brand new person into the clinic that's never exercised. This stuff is hard when you do it right, if you know that's the stuff that people need. I will do a part two to this because I just realized in my head it's gonna expand even bigger and the next one for sure is gonna be an hour or even more. Um, but there you go, low level, level one, maybe even level zero, I would put that into a category of what we just did. Now the thing I wanted to bring up, forward flexion is not so bad. I've done videos where I've shown myself in like the hinge and rotating my pelvis to move my lumbar spine to flexion and extension in a rounded position. In order for an articul uh, articulation, aka your joint, to be healthy, it needs to move in all the capacities it has. So if my shoulder only does this on a cell phone or this on a laptop and my arm going up to grab a cup out of the cupboard, all that other stuff that my shoulder can do, and I'm performing a shoulder car right now, gets tight, gets stiff, and then it doesn't move and the joint itself becomes sick. It doesn't have the nutrients it needs to be able to move freely like this, right? So just like your spine, if I never put it into flexion, eventually those articulations that allow you to go into flexion is not going to be healthy. It's not going to move the way it should. But, but if you're an individual with a history of low back pain, probably at that moment, it's not the best idea to go into flexion, but you can retrain yourself to do it to make sure you don't get into pain, which is gonna be in the part two of this video, which is gonna be a long, long video, I just realized. But I'm gonna end it there so you guys can think about this stuff and see where your gaps are in your core training. And if you have any feedback questions, like let me know, hit the comments. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to my channel. I have a lot of stuff on there that people need to watch. Um, if you're listening, hit the show notes, watch the video. Also, five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere else you listen to my podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys. Until next time.